king of the universe, the one who upholds all things and sustains us. You are good. And you're good all the time, and everything you do is good. And we have seen your faithfulness, your goodness in every aspect of our lives. The very fact that we're here this morning and our hearts are beating and we're able to sing praise to you is because you're good. Even though we have not been good, we are not good people in and of ourselves. We are rebels and we have all Every single one of us deserved your judgment because we have, we have told you that we want life to go our way. And yet you have been good to us and sent your son, Jesus, to be that perfect sacrifice, that substitute for us, to stand in our place, to take the punishment we deserve, and then to rise from the grave to conquer death, to, to sit at the right hand of God interceding for us. You are so, so good to us. God, this morning as we look into your word and we consider what it means to follow you and what a serious call this is, we just ask that you would work that your spirit would work in our hearts and our minds, in my mind as I speak, that the meditations of our hearts and our minds would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would turn in your Bibles, I'm going to have it up ahead on the overhead, but if you're able to turn there, we're going to be looking in the book of Hebrews this morning. We're in this series on what does it mean to be a part of Edgewood Church and what are these marks, what are the, the elements of Edgewood that make us what we are. And we've wanted it to be simple. We started off with Acts 2.42 talking about what the first church did and it was pretty simple. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. And if, you've, if you take a step back and think about this series and what we've talked about, that's really, everything we've talked about has fallen under that aspect in some way or another. And, and as we wrap up this series, these, this message today and the message next week is on, that last, is on the last, last aspect we're going to cover is about discipleship. It's about following Jesus. The one thing that really Jesus calls us to, in one sense, it's, it's really simple. He calls us to follow him. He calls us to follow him, but not on our own. He calls us to follow him together. Together. And, as we're going to see today, it's a serious business. A very serious thing to follow Jesus together. I love the praise and testimony time today because I, the, the, the heart of what this message from Hebrews is going to be showing you, I can see it happening in our body. But as you're going to see, this text is calling us to, to not stop that, to do it even more. And there's a reason for it. 
So we're going to read this morning uh, from Hebrews chapter 10. We're looking at verses 24 through 25, but I'm going to have us start reading at verses 19, the beginning of the paragraph, so that you kind of get the context a little bit about what is here. So starting at verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You and I know that being a Christian is not a walk in the park, is it? It it, it is not an easy thing. It is a hard-going thing, and it's only going to get harder. Um, and it's tempting to give up. I think it's tempting to give up, especially as we see the trials come left and right, bringing temptation to just stay in bed <laughs> and wait for all the crazy to stop, right? It's seriously hard, but I think many of us, as we even testified to in our time together this morning, have seen the joy of what it comes from being together as a body, through thick and thin, right? We've seen it over and over. When one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. And when one part rejoices and gets a job, we all rejoice together, right? When we see him work in our lives, we rejoice together. And we need to know that, you know, the gathering, the covenanting, covenanting together as a local body is not just like an American Legion or a Toastmasters Club. Not that there's anything wrong with those things, but the togetherness, the fellowship that we have as a local church is so much more than that. It's so much more, right? The reason we are together is because the Spirit of God has baptized us into Christ And he's united us together mysteriously into his son. There is a spiritual connection between those of us here today that are children of God who have repented and trusted in Christ. We are united together in a a sense that we cannot really explain very well. It's not like we just have things in common. It's that we are spiritually connected to Christ by the Spirit. And and together, we have the same motivation. We all have this goal of seeing the glory of God spread across the earth through the proclamation of the gospel. That's our goal, right? We want to see the glory of God cover the face of the earth. And together, we show the world what he looks like through how we love each other, through the unity we show together, and how we love others around us. 
And all of that is very serious business. It's not just a club. <laughs> this is very serious business, being a disciple alongside other believers. So yes, it is hard to follow Christ, but the thing is we have the good news of the gospel, like what Charity was talking about. We have the good news of the gospel, and it, what the good news that what Christ enables us to do as disciples. And that's what I think the point of these last two verses that we uh, read here is about. This is what this whole passage is about, these last two verses, is that the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ lived and died for us, the gospel drives us together, drives us to stick together in this serious task of following Jesus. The gospel, the gospel drives us to stick together in this serious task of following Jesus. We're just going to focus today on this, those last two verses, verses 24 and 25, and I want to show you how the gospel drives us to stick together. And these verses we look at, they have two commands, or two verses have one command, okay? They have one dis- command, and they describe first how not to do, how not to follow Jesus, and then how to follow Jesus, how to do that command. So it gives us a command, tells us how not to do that command, and how to do that command. So what we're going to see first is the seriousness of discipleship, the seriousness of discipleship. If you had a handout, there were some out there. Oh, well, if you didn't grab one, take some notes. I have, uh, have them up here, the outline. So in order for us to consider these two verses, like we've not, I've not been preaching through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, little fun trivia fact, is my favorite book in the Bible. Like if I was on an island and I could only have one book of the Bible, I'd want the book of Hebrews. It, it is enough to chew on for an eternity. <laughs> Um, but in the verses leading up to the two verses we're focusing on today, he, the author has been showing some big picture truths, kind of like what Matt was showing Paul did in Ephesians. All these glorious truths that then lead to commands. And Hebrews lead these verses leading right up to our verse here, do the same thing. And I call these glorious truths gospel truths. Because there are specific aspects about the gospel that he's reveling in. And, and one particular one is that, that he's focused on here is that we have a great priest, a great high priest, who is the perfect and unique priest, who's also the one who offered a sacrifice that was perfect and sufficient of himself for us. And the reason a priest had to do that, if you even think about the Old Testament, whole bunch of sacrifices, priests and all that stuff, they had to do that to show a picture to people that our sins prevent us from being with God. Our sin is a barrier to being with God. And even the Old Testament tabernacle had this curtain that showed a separation between the people God made and God himself. And the sin, the picture of the curtain separated us. And the author in Hebrews in chapter 10 and even leading up to it, is talking about how Jesus came and once for all acted as the priest who would take the sacrifice, offer it to God, 
but the sacrifice was himself. So that you, that barrier that stands between God and man, could be removed for all who would trust in him. He removed that barrier. That's what the context is leading up to this passage. So if it's true that Christ has removed the the barrier that was between us and God, that has some implications. And that's what he gets to in verses 19. It's like if you even look at the verse, the first verse there of 19, the first word says, therefore. He's saying, okay, because you have this great high priest who offered himself as a perfect sacrifice and opened up the way, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, because he's removed that barrier by the place by the blood of Jesus the by the new and living way that he opened uh, for us through the curtain that is through his flesh and since we have a great high priest over the house of God so he's saying because of these huge truths that you can be with God you couldn't be with God because of your sin and Jesus came and opened up this way therefore and he says a couple of things. He says several things, actually, in verses 23 and 20, uh, 22 through 23. He says that, we, um, that these gospel truths, that we have this high priest, mean that you now must draw near to God. It's like he opened up the door, and he's saying you have to go in. That's what he has in verses 22, verse 22. And then he says that now because of that, you must now hold fast to this truth. That's what's in verses 22 and 23. And here, he says, now, those two gospel implications, let me give you one more gospel implication. What is another gospel truth that would impel you to do something? So that's where we are. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as the day you see the day drawing near. And I want to argue that this first phrase, verse 24, is giving us what I call a gospel-driven provocation. Now, there's not very many kids in the room for some reason this morning, but you all know what provoking means. <laughs> your, your kids are, or even your spouse, you like kind of poke a little bit, right, to stir them up a little bit. That is what we're seeing here. This verse says, let us, first of all, let's just see that it's us. This is why I say this is a together thing. We follow Jesus together because he says, let us. In verses 22, he says, let us draw near. And verse 23, he says, let us hold fast. And now he says in verse 24, let us together consider. Now, that consider word is, means to pay very close attention to. doesn't mean just like casually think about it. It means to take time, slow down, and think about what I'm about to say. And then he says, what does he say? He says to how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, stir up is kind of a weak sauce translation. Um, <laughs> that word, it, it literally is a spur. In the Greek, it's like 
spurs on the back of the cowboy boots, right, that you put in the horse's side, that's the word <laughs> there. In fact, the, the only other time it's used in the New Testament is when Paul and Barnabas are in such a conflict of disagreement that they were provoked, that they, they poked each other, like not physically, but they literally were barbs against each other. So the King James actually, I think, translates the word stir up better there as provoke. Let us consider how to provoke one another. And because I said, remember the verse starts off, therefore, it says, therefore, let us do this, let us do this. And now here it says, therefore, let us consider. Then it's, therefore, is the gospel truth that Jesus is our great high priest. Because of that, consider how to provoke each other. So that's why I call it a gospel-driven provocation, because he's saying these gospel truths, and he says, therefore, think about how you can provoke each other. Well, the question is, provoke each other to what? Right? What is he saying as a result of these gospel truths that we are to provoke each other to do what? And I would argue that what he says in the next part of that phrase is he's saying, consider how to provoke each other to follow Jesus. In order to, to prove that, I need to show you something first. So I said that this message is about how to follow Jesus together. And I think that's what discipleship is, is following Jesus together. So let me just show you, let me just ask you first, what are the two great commandments? The pastor's got it. Love who? Well, love, your, love God and others, right? When he says, what are the two great commandments? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like unto it, and he doesn't mean it's like, it's like they're equal. In fact, if you ever thought about this, to the measure that you love others, it's a picture of how much you love God. And to the measure that you love God, it's a picture of how well you'll love others. Those are the two great commandments. In fact, we see in John 15, 8, Jesus says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So Jesus is saying, the way you show the world that you are a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, a learner of Jesus is by bearing much fruit. Well, if we go back to chapter 14, Jesus says, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So given the greatest commandments, love God, love others, and then Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I ask you to do. So, I would say, argue, from the New Testament, I don't have time to get deep into that, that following Jesus means loving God and obeying him. <laughs> it's really kind of simple. So, that's what I would actually say about what discipleship is. It's following Jesus means loving him and doing what he commands. So, Let's go back to our passage now. Hebrews 10, 24. 
Let us consider how to provoke, how to stir up one another to what? Right? To love and good works. Now, those are those two categories that I just argued that in the New Testament, in the Gospels, being a disciple is loving God and obeying him. If you love me, you'll do what, I, what he commands, is what he says. So, what this verse is telling us, what does this mean for us? It means that because of the great truths of the gospel, that you were doomed, separated from God, because of your sin, your rebellion, and Jesus came and paid, stood in your place, paid that price because of that great truth, we can see Jesus as our great high priest. We are now to seriously consider, think hard about how to provoke one another to follow Jesus, to love and good works. So what does that look like? I think the next verse tells us, well, what does that mean? But before we, we go to that, I want you to just think for a second, though, about this word consider. I think we think about discipleship and fellowshipping together often is like spontaneous. And I think spontaneous things of just, I hadn't planned on it, I'm going to go and talk to, to so-and-so today or pray for somebody or just that spontaneous unplanned thing is good. But that word consider there challenges us to say, I need to think about discipleship as part and parcel of being a Christian, as part of my life. I actually need to plan how I'm going to reach out and help others follow Jesus with me. It's consider. It's like take time to think about. And it's like this. It's the difference between how can I fit Jesus into my life? No, no. It's Jesus is part of everything in my life and should be a part of every one of our life. I need to structure my life, every aspect around loving him and doing good works and helping others do that. I have to be intentional about how do I help others do that and ask others to help me do that, Right? That's, that's just, just the, don't lose sight of that consider word. But let's think about what does serious discipleship look like? What does serious discipleship look like? And remember I said, okay, so the verse gives us one command. Consider, think about how to spur each other on to good love and good works. Then what it does is it gives us what it doesn't look like and what it does look like. So let's look at the first thing. You'll see that the first thing it tells us what it doesn't look like is that we don't give up on each other. We don't give up on each other. The verse there says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Now, we're not sure why some people had begun to make a habit of not meeting together. The verse doesn't really tell us, but if you look down to verses 32 and 34, the author is talking about serious persecution these people were going under. And if you put yourself in their shoes, I can imagine if I was like going under serious persecution and I, my life might be on the line if I come to gather with the people of God, I could see I might give up. 
and just stay home and read my Bible at home and pray. I'll be good with that. <laughs> Don't you think that maybe where you'd be? I mean, I, that's where I'm going to be if I, God's grace is going to work in me and help me not do that. But if in, in and of myself, like when the you know what hits the fan, I am going to, it's going to be hard. And I can see that that's what was happening there. And apparently some people were like, I think I'm just going to read my, well, I, they didn't have their Bibles, but <laughs> I'm going to start remembering just these words that they said at home. <laughs> and, and so that's why I think the author is saying, don't get into that habit. Don't get into that habit. Not neglecting is actually probably better translated as not forsaking, not forsaking or not abandoning. It's the same word that when Jesus is on the cross, he says, Father, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? That's the same word there. Not abandoning each other. And that, that meet together word is actually probably better translated the assembling. Not abandoning the assembling word. The assembling together that you have. And that, that word is, it, it's it's connected to the same word of synagogue it's the assembling the gathering together and i think what he's talking about there is in the new testament when the church started you had small groups gathering in homes and and occasionally the larger church would gather when they could and he he's saying don't stop doing that in fact, the only other time of that word, the meet together word, is used again in the New Testament is at the end of time when Christ comes back. It's used in Revelation that when the people of God are all gathered together to Christ. And if you see the very end of our verse there, as the day is drawing near, that helps us see that the gathering together that we do is a very serious thing because in some way it's connected to that final day when we all gather together, when Christ pulls us, pulls his body from all of time together. You know, this verse has been used. How many have ever heard a pastor preach on this verse, especially this last one? There's some people like, and it's all about like, you need to show up for church, right? <laughs> it's harping on church attendance. That completely misses the point if all it means is coming to church. But if you can see here, that, that's not what this is about. Now, coming to church is, the, is essential in order to do what it's telling you to do, right? You gather to how I can stir each other up to follow Jesus together. It, it's about not giving up on each other. That's what it's about. It's about not giving up on each other because that would prevent us from helping each other love God and obey him. So, in other words, think about this. We gather like we're doing right now, like we do on Thursday nights together. We gather to help one another live lives that are characterized by the worship of the Lord Christ. That's why we gather, is to help each other Follow Jesus as Lord. We're pushing each other to help follow Christ. And it looks like not giving up on each other. When you abandon the gatherings and abandon each other, you are not 
following Jesus. You're not following this command. And every Sunday morning especially, so you could, I could just say this is about church attendance. People have done that. But it's got to be more than that because you coming on Sunday morning shows each other that this gathering is vitally important. It shows each other that you are vitally important. You coming is telling the other person next to you that you're important and that Christ is even more important and that we need this, right? We need this. You prompt me by being here. You prompt me to love God and do what he commands by just being here, by singing together and giving together and participating in the message and talking about the message afterward and praying for each other and not just running out the door when we get done. You're showing that this is about gathering and helping each other live lives characterized by the worship of Jesus. Now think about that. Think about this. How well can we do that if we're sitting at home watching church on TV, <laughs> right? That's why it was a super, super serious matter for churches during the whole COVID mess to figure out how soon can we get back together. Because if all it was was about you looking at a screen and listening to some guy talk and maybe a, con a band <laughs> sing, you're not doing what this passage is calling us to do. That's why it was essential as soon as possible that the body of Christ, the local churches would gather. And that's what I appreciated that Edgewood did. They're like, they're, they got super inventive. Okay, we don't have to meet in this building. We're going to meet in Indiana. <laughs> and they did it. That was, that was so encouraging because they saw that gathering together is an essential part of being a Christian. Because we're told by Jesus, if you love me, do what I command. Well, what's this command that he's given us here in the text? Come together and encourage one another to follow Jesus. It means not giving up on each other, right? When things get hard, when things, marriages go sour, when people lose their jobs, when we get cancer, when we lose our members... It means not giving up on each other in those hard times. But this next, so the first part there is, okay, consider how to stir each other up to love and good works by not quitting, by not abandoning each other. This next part shows us how to do it. We walk alongside each other. We walk alongside each other. Look at what the verse says. It says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, encouraging one another. That word but right there in the Greek, like we have one way to spell the word but, <laughs> right? In the Greek, they have multiple words. Well, we actually do too. It's like nevertheless or those different kinds of adverbs that transition. This one right here is like the strongest contrast. Don't do this, but... And as strong as way it can say, do this. It's, it's saying, um, don't give up, but encourage one another. And we're going to see in the passage next week they're going to look at it. It's the same word, encouraging. And it's such a beautiful picture. 
Um, I, I don't usually when I'm studying for past, for messages and doing my Bible study, I don't usually do like word studies. You know, like, well, isn't that how you're supposed to do Bible study? Like, unpa- well, the classic one is one of my Greek classes, one of, the pa- one of the professors was saying, now the word and here means and. <laughs> That's about how useful a lot of word studies are. Sometimes, though, it's very important. If it's a big word, that's kind of a big clue. Like if it's got a lot of letters, that probably that sounds really sophisticated and scholarly, right? Seriously, though, if it's a big word, you probably should pull out one of those Bible dictionaries and start digging into what that one means. And the word encouraging here means, listen to this, to come close to someone's side and speak in a friendly manner as rousing up someone's will about what ought to be done. I mean, that's a, that's a whole mouthful right there and what the word encouraging is. Let me read it again. To come close to someone's side and speak in a friendly manner as rousing up someone's will about what ought to be done. You've also, I think the King James translates this exhort. The word exhort, though, you usually probably put in your head as teach and preach. No encouraging is something you and I all do. We come alongside each other and in a way that's not going to beat them down, but help them see the critical nature of what it is that we're in, the serious calling of following Jesus. The NIV translates chapter 3, verse 13 really well and uses the same word. He says, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. So we encourage each other in order, why do we encourage each other to help each other follow Christ instead of following sin? That's why we gather together. That's why Edgewood is important because we're called together to help each other follow Jesus by loving and doing good works together. And it's, it means using your gifts. Now, not all of you have, like, speaking gifts, right? Each of you are gifted differently. God's made you all differently. And each of us, as, as Matt's talked about over the last couple of sermons before last week, about how God's made the body to fit together, and they're all needed. We all need each other because God in his perfect wisdom has made this hodgepodge that we call Edgewood. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And every single person here that's a, that's a part of Edgewood connected, and I would encourage you to consider as a member, because that's showing that you're serious and you want this to be, this is my family that I'm going to covenant together with. Well, let me tell you again, Siri. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> she totally derailed my thought. What did I say just right before that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Membership. <laughs> I totally, thank you. When you join and become a member, you're saying, this is the group of believers that I am committed to helping walk together, and they're committed to helping me stay on the path. They are the ones that I am 
say, this is my family right now. These are the ones that I need. In a weird way, they need me, even though I'm a mess, but I need them. So not neglecting to give up, but then on each other, but then encouraging one another. How well can you do that command if you don't know each other? That's why I really loved, I mean, Sundays are essential, right? We have to do that. But I really like what we're doing on Thursdays because I'm really getting to know so many of you in a way that, I know you all can't do that Thursday night thing, but when you can, and, and we may eventually end up having to go back to Wednesday, but it doesn't matter, gathering in a way that is kind of letting our hair down a little bit, we get to know each other. This command, and in the passage we're going to look at next week, you can't do it unless you know each other. And just saying hi on Sundays and then going home is not going to help you actually get to know each other. So I want to challenge you to be the person who goes up to someone else and asks, how can I pray for you this week? How can my family help you this week? Ask, what's God teaching you in his word lately? That's a tough one because, like, you know, you come and say, I can't ask that question because I've been kind of neglecting that. But you can go to someone and say, hey, someone actually came to me. We were actually sitting in their truck the other day, and they're just saying, I'm struggling with reading. Pray for me. Be that person. It doesn't have to be you going and saying, hey, how can I be the superhero in your life? It's come to someone and say, hey, I'm struggling just to even read my Bible. Would you pray for me? Be that person. Be that person. And if you've envisioned it being something different than it seems, different than what you think's been going on, then I'd encourage you to take time and pray through this passage and think, and next week's, how am I doing this? So ask yourself, where am I really practicing discipleship? So I just want to finally draw your attention to this last phrase, though, of the passage because I called this message the serious nature of discipleship, and I've tried to help you see the seriousness, but I think this next phrase here helps us see that it's very serious because the days are growing darker. The days are growing darker. That phrase there in the passage, all the more, so you're encouraging one another and all the more. That's what I said. I see it happening in Edgewood. But we need to do it even more. We need to do it more as we see the day draw near. Like that letter, the capital D there is not in the original. But it's done in, by the translators to help you see. He's not talking about like Tuesday. <laughs> He's talking about a certain day. And if you've read the Old Testament, you hear about the day of the Lord coming. That's talking about the judgment of God is coming. And it's called the day of the Lord. And it's not like one single day. It could be a period of God's judgment. And we can see that coming. But here's the weird thing. Put your thinking caps on. Why would he connect the judgment of God that day coming with encouraging each other? Like, if we cut out that last half, like this phrase I'm talking about, I think this message, you've been like, all right, let's do this loving Jesus stuff together. And all right. 
but he includes that. He says, all the more as the days get darker here. Here's two reasons why I think he puts that there. I'd say the first reason he puts it there is because it's easy for you and me to lose our eternal perspective. During Sunday school, Pastor Matt was talking about Abraham being given all these promises and never seeing them fulfilled. But how did Abraham keep taking one step in front of another? It's because he looked forward to that promise being fulfilled. We need each other to encourage each other to keep our eyes on that day. Because you see, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, that day is a good day for you. If you have not come to Christ and said, Christ, you are my only hope. I cannot be good enough. My good works are not enough. My sins have damned me to hell. If you can, have you not come to that point, then the day that's drawing near is not a good time for you. And at that point, it's too late. But if you have come to Christ and said, I need you, you are my only hope, then the day that he's talking about is a good day for us. Because God will bring us through it, and then we will be with him forever. That good time of being forever, that perfect time, that solid time that Lewis was talking about, that perfect time is what our eyes need to be locked on. Not our best life now. That, that's garbage. Right? That, that's just garbage. Your best life is not now. There are some good things that are now. Like, those shortbread cookies my daughter made. <laughs> but don't, but frank, frank, frankly, <laughs> those are just shadows, friends. Those are tastes that there is a perfect time coming. And it's easy for us to get all of our focus on the shortbread and lose sight that the better time's coming. Because frankly, there will be a time coming when we only be able to make shortbread cookies. We're going to be hunkering down. I've got a friend, my mentor, Stuart Scott, occasionally makes trips to China to do conferences. When I have him come to do a conference at my, the church I was at in Minnesota, we flew him in on a plane and, you know, got him an escort there and we put him in a nice hotel and nice meals. And we, it was just so great. When he goes to China, he gets to get snuck in undercover to go to the place where the believers are going to meet, there's guards at the door watching for the government, and all they want to do is hear him teach from the word about how to live this life. Friends, that's coming. And we need to encourage each other because that day, the days are going to get harder, and it's going to be easy during those times for us to lose sight. We're going to be like, that's why I think if you look in Hebrews just down in 32 and 34, those believers, it was the hard times. And they needed each other to keep that eternal perspective. We have to be ready, right? Jesus has that parable of the, the bridegroom coming and those attendants that were supposed to be waiting supposed to have their lamps trimmed and burning, waiting. 
This verse is telling you, keep each other on that path. Come to me and say, hey, is your lamp out? Do you even have enough oil? The oil, the spirit that comes when you're reading the word, that you're helping each other stay on the path. That's what this is about, keeping that eternal perspective. And I think the second reason why he puts this here in this verse is because it's only going to get harder. It's not going to get easier. It's not going to get easier. You maybe call me Debbie Downer, (laughs) but I think the trajectory of Scripture is that the times are going to get worse, that we're not going to be like victorious, making America a Christian nation. You can argue with me about that later. I don't think that's going to happen. At least at this point, that's not my view of Scripture. I think things go down, and Jesus comes back, and then we have the day the eternal state with him, okay? And we need each other because as the days get worse, we're going to need each other more and more. So encourage one another to stay on the course. Now I want to pull this together so that you can see visually what this text is saying. And I think it'll just help you bring it home here. This is kind of like my explanation of the passage. It's not a translator. Verses verses 24 to 25 are saying, because of Christ, consider. Think real hard about what? What do I need to think real hard about? How to help each other follow Jesus. How do I do it? Well, not like this, abandoning each other, but do it like this, by encouraging each other. Why? Because you see the end drawing near. That's what I think that passage is teaching us. That's why I think it's critical for us as Edgewood to always be doing this, but more and more. The call of Christ, the call of the gospel, is a call to consider one another. And it's a call for us to live with a sense of urgency. It's a call to forsake not our gatherings, but to forsake self-reliance. It's a call to move away from this bootstrap Midwestern tough-it-out-on-your-own mentality that we have kind of wired into us. But it's a call to run away from isolation and toward each other. We need each other and all the more to encourage each other, to stir one another up. So let's beg the Spirit of God to fan the flame of real revival here at Edgewood May he grant us the grace to remember these gospel truths that we have a great high priest who is sufficient and has paid the price and made it possible for us now to go into the presence of God and be with him. And how do we do this? By not giving up on each other, but encouraging each other as we see the days grow dark. So may he be glorified in your hearts and in your homes and in our church. Let's pray. God, I just praise you for the privilege it is to call you Father because of the work that Jesus did and the Spirit applied to our hearts. I thank you for your love and patience with us, and I thank you for your promises. I ask that you would help us not quit on each other, but that you would help us live lives where Christ is magnified in our hearts in every way, and that we would be encouraging one another as we see the days grow dark. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.